Hello and welcome to I'm Not Gonna Pretend It's This Week's episode of Backlash. Uh, I'm one of your hosts, Jerry, otherwise known as Notorious GHP. And for the first time in like a month or so, I get to say, and I'm joined by my usual co host, August, otherwise known as The Boxer. How are you doing? Doing good. Uh, made some very tasty cabbage rolls last night, uh, making stuff from the Eastern European restaurant cookbook that I bought a while back. Enjoying that. Uh, I finally started watching Game of Thrones about a decade after it uh, aired, and it is very good, <laughs> as good as like people said it was when I didn't believe them in the past. Uh, how are you doing? I'm sure there's nothing interesting happening in your life or happened recently. Like It's not like either of us did well in a tournament. No, I, I, I think I came into a little bit of money from Direwolf Digital, and I, I think I have to play a tournament on my birthday in December uh, with a lot more money on the line or something. Um, it sounds about right. I think I qualified for Worlds, which is going to be one of our, obviously, main topics today, because, like... I've been playing these tournaments for four years. I've wanted to have this podcast for four years. Uh, besides qualifying for Worlds, because, I mean, we've been away because we both had a lot of things going on in life. Uh, we're not going like, to dive into that uh, too heavily. But, I mean, I'm good. I'm busy with uh, my work uh, and research and I'm grading stuff. I've recently started to tutor uh, three different university students uh, in math, which has so far been a good experience until... I recently had someone show me that they're doing the unit circle, so I have some homework to do this weekend. Uh, otherwise, I mean, I'm like I'm I've been moved out now for two months, and I haven't set anything on fire, so to say. I'm slowly getting better at cooking. Um, that's kind of part of my focus this month is I'm gonna try to push myself a little bit out of my comfort zone, um, and then in part of that, I've been talking to a few different, uh, you know, do a lot of cooking and different like. Their, uh, I guess, home menu, so to say, is uh, is quite vast, such as like Paradox. And so uh, we've been discussing some food ideas. And one thing that was suggested so I could try to come up with uh, like a wider variety of things to try has been to simply go try, like at restaurants, different kinds of foods that I never experienced. Because I definitely grew up in a household who, like, you kind of had the same thing every week, uh, very much like a meat and potatoes household. And I am like a pasta kind of person. So th there's a big clash there of like, uh, I haven't had exposure to a lot of things. So last weekend, uh, I can officially say I tried Indian food, which was utterly amazing. Um, and I'm very excited to kind of expand on that and then incorporate that into like making my home life better of, you know, cooking and stuff. And then I guess besides that, uh, I should be getting a cat soon. I don't have like a date or anything like that, but I've been comfortable enough living here now for two months that, like, I I guess I feel prepared to take care of a cat. Where when I first moved in, it's like first you have to learn how to take care of yourself if you've never lived by yourself. So exciting. Yeah, I'm thrilled. I'm sure there'll be a million pictures in our backlash Discord about uh, me and my cute cat. Um, so yeah, I would say things are going pretty well. Obviously, yes, this is like. Obviously, we're going to talk about the fact that I qualify for Worlds now. And so it's hard for me to sit here and be like, yeah, life is going okay. When, like, that's a huge accomplishment that, you know, it's, it's accomplishing a goal that's been worked on for four plus years. But uh, even besides that, like, I'm very happy with how things are going. Um, and 
yeah, I, I would just say life is going well. Okay, so uh, let's start by jumping into the preparation you did for this tournament. What was the preparation like? Did you feel the format was very similar to the format before? You know, before they did the buffing shadow uh, changes. Uh, what what were you know what was your understanding of things uh, when you started preparing? So. I have to be honest to say I did very little prep work for this tournament. Part of that was about three months ago, we did quite a lot of prep work. Uh, and then when they made the changes to, you know, with the last balance patch, I, although it did change certain factions viability and stuff, um, I didn't find the format to be so different that you, I felt like you had to relearn it. And so I felt like I could very much lean on what we learned during the last draft open. Um, to do a lot of my prep work. I've definitely not played a lot of Eternal this month. Um, and so for actual like drafts done, you and I did, I think, two drafts like that we spectated each other on uh, during that week, and then I did one on my own. So for actual like games played, I did very little, but I did take time to you know obviously read through patch notes and try to think about how do these things affect the format. Um, of course, I listened to a, a podcast you filmed last week, uh, and when you gave your thoughts, because you were definitely more prepared than I was, but I really do feel like what they did with the patch was the fundamentals of the format didn't change too much, except Shadow became more viable. However, there were things like uh, aerial deployment that got nerfed that uh, made the format, how I would describe it, is more predictable, um, where it took out one of these big, like, uh, blowout cards uh, that really, like, warped games around it and it no longer became this card you were constantly picking and of course it made justice go from the like the worst faction or the second worst faction to like the 10th worth fa worst faction in a game with five factions so, like i didn't want to touch justice i certainly passed a parliament elder during day two and i'm very happy about it like i think that i very much got to lean on you know three months ago work um and if this had been like a you know, an actual new set, um, I either would have found the time to do more prep, or I definitely don't think I would have had anywhere near the success I did uh, if I couldn't fall back on what I had previously done. So I don't think the format changed too much. But I guess before we move on to other questions, do you think it had changed that much? Because I've seen mixed opinion. Yeah, I think Shadow went from don't touch it to probably about as good as time. I, and Justice went from uh, the second worst to clear worst, don't touch it. The other factions I don't think changed that much. Fire got a bit of a buff, uh, but yeah, I, 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 I don't think the two best factions changed that much. Uh, but I think Shadow moving to about as good as time was a big deal. It means you can take Shadow cards. You know, or rather, you don't need to be as skeptical when taking a shadow card. You don't need to think of it as much as a gamble or speculation. It's just, oh, I can take shadow cards. Yeah, so pretty similar, but slightly wider range of viable decks. Maybe not slightly. It, I think it opened up the format a lot, but the fundamental things that mattered stayed the same. Yeah, like I think the justice issue just got... Uh like, stretched out to be even more of an issue, and then we got to see, like, Shadow, the buffs it got very much mattered, but I think it was 
still like I, I agree with you. It's about where time is, and I think time and shadow both had the issue of they're not they weren't amazingly well rounded. They really did need you know their other faction to pull um, like to fill in some weaknesses. Where like fire and primal felt like for conversation's sake, if you were to end up playing like mono fire or mono primal, your deck would be way more well rounded than like a mono shadow deck. Uh, uh, it would have. A lot less weaknesses, but I I definitely agree with you about how the format is uh, changing. Yeah. So, what were your drafts like on day one? I know you did two of them. Uh, so, how you know what what uh, what exciting cards did you open? What did you end up drafting, and how did they do? So, I did my first deck, and like my intention was to just do one run, and that was kind of it. I because I didn't really prep much, this was just, you know, if I can make day two, that's great. Otherwise, whatever. Uh, so my first deck was a Skycrag deck, and I went three and five. And this was kind of what I realized, and we're going to have, you know, we're going to talk with this at some point more in depth during this cast, that the packs were definitely not normal. They were, you know, you're seeing a lot more of a higher distribution of these, like, premium uncommons and stuff getting passed to you. And this has been a common recurrence now with these... Uh, draft open sometimes a little better than others but it's been there and so i drafted my first deck and if this was in the draft queues i was like all right this is pretty good but compared to what all my opponents were doing my deck was trash um like when your opponents are running around and playing you know two or three copies of like dark heart acolyte wind screamers and then they're following it up with like one to two copies of like crinkle boys that's a really high density of great uncommons in one faction or two factions that my first deck was in no way able to keep up with and so uh, i thought my deck was pretty good until i started to see what my opponents were doing because my first draft i while drafting i wasn't sold that these were as people have referred to them as bot packs um because my deck you know what i didn't really see anything too crazy all the other data I got, you know, other players talking about their drafts, and then everything I was playing against was immediately like this giant red flag of, oh god. So my first deck was a medium quality Skycrate. Um, and I was going to not play another run. And uh, you told me to play a second run. Uh, and so somewhere along the way, I decided, okay, I have some time tonight. I should just play out this second run. And part of the reason I did was because I knew I'd kick myself. You know, I feel very comfortable at this point in my drafting abilities and stuff, and that if I just didn't play the max runs in what I think is probably my strongest format right now, I would probably regret it, given I already had a top four to my name. Um, and I thought, my, you know, my chances of winning this are way better than the Throne Open that's coming up in two weeks or the LCQ that may or may not happen. Um, and so I said, okay, let's do that second draft. My second draft was a Skycrag deck that had, um, was pretty great. It had two Dark Art Acolytes, it had a Crinkle Boys, it had a Wind Screamer. Um, Hearth, Hearth Smasher is pretty great when you have those Frenzy cards. It had Jotun Runt, which they buffed for some reason. Um, oh yeah, that buffed Yeah, I don't understand why they buffed that card. But this deck was really just like a pile of good cards, and then the things I weren't, I wasn't too happy with is I played a copy of Sticky Fingers at a Backlash. Um, didn't really have something I'd rather play over the backlash and the fingers was, um, I don't really want to play another power and I have enough frenzy cards 
that this might be a reasonable time for it, but it's a card I never am going to be happy to play. Um, however, it did win me like three games, and none of them were because it was triggering Frenzy. It was just because I kept shooting my opponent in the face. Um, but my draft went 11-3, and it wasn't a, like, it was quite a good deck, obviously. Um, however, it was, it definitely compared to what happened during the, uh, my first runs, I felt like my opponent's decks were both weaker than what I was playing against the first time. And that my deck was just so much better than what I had last time that, uh, that I admit my second run was very much like smooth sailing. Um, my losses didn't really like, they were a lot of, you know, you struggle to hit your power and things like that. Not a lot of people playing better cards than you or out tempoing me, things like that. Even though I didn't have that many twos, so I would expect this deck to get out tempoed sometimes. Uh, only had three two drops. So yeah, day one, I ended up going uh, 11 to three. And four, four two drops because of, oh wait, no, I'm looking at your next day deck. Never mind. Yeah. Uh, and so I went 11 to three. Deck was great. Uh, but I realistically only played because you were like, you should really play your second run. So I get I, I owe you a little bit for that, I guess. Um, but I was not planning to play a second run after day after the first one was going went so miserably. If if you weren't so close and just needing another top four, I I wouldn't have said anything. I I but I think just because of how close you were, it was worth it to put in that, you know, little extra time for the chance. Yeah, I and not saying this because obviously hindsight makes it look like it was the world's most obvious choice, right? Because we know how the path went. But uh, I was like, it didn't cost me much when it comes to like real life time that day, for example. I didn't really have to sacrifice to do this. Um, so I think that was definitely just like the right choice to make for me because I don't, I also don't think it would have been like a big strain on my mental or anything like that to play out that extra run. I didn't have a factor like that to, uh, I guess I'll word it, convince me not to play. So after you qualified for day two and you've seen what the packs look like, what was your new game plan going into day two? You know, I'm guessing you thought, were going in thinking you were going to prioritize certain factions over others, I believe. Uh, I don't know if forcing was said, but, you know, when we were discussing it the night before, maybe forcing was said, just, you want to end up Skycrate. That's how you win this, right? Yeah, we, one of us said forcing, but I don't think it was the full serious, like, oh yeah, you obviously have to force Skycrate here, or you're never going to win. Um, but, yeah, we definitely... Felt like Skycrag was the faction, and because of how the packs were going, it didn't really feel like you were ever getting cut off. Like, people were, when you're getting like eighth pick wind screamers, then everyone could play Skycrag. Like, if you look at the, um, like, getting a little ahead of myself here, but if you look at the decks that were drafted during day two, there were so many people who drafted Skycrag that if you think of how a draft typically works, unless everybody or everybody's the wrong wording, if a lot of those people would have to be wrong in a normal draft sense because there would be not enough density of good cards going around. But if you look at the cards that were drafted, it felt like every player was running around with a bunch of these really appealing Skycrag cards. Not just a Skycrag deck because they like Skycrag, but like a really good Skycrag deck seemed like it was everywhere. Um, and so I wanted to play Skycrag just like everybody else. Um, I was certainly open to other things, but... I did feel like if I was going to win this tournament, I would probably want to end up in a Skycrag deck with some of those really busted on commons. Uh, 
that was definitely how I felt and was my biggest concern, like thinking about it the night before of, wow, how is tomorrow going to go? And it very much felt like, will I end up in Skycrag and will I have good density? Because um, if not, I'm probably in for a short day and getting back to work early. Um, I certainly did plan on Sunday to get work done that day, uh, which I failed at. But uh, yeah, I, I definitely felt like with the high density of cards that if I drafted an okay deck or a low power level deck that just had like a good curve and stuff that I was going to get demolished. And so it didn't happen for me, but I know some people would then take that logic and say uh, that possibly means you want to draft in a little more risky way or a little more forcing, etc. If you feel like you need your to lean on the really good cards on your deck, which I think you and I agree on of like in this format, your best cards matter most and less about the overall cards in your deck. Yeah. And also I, I think one thing you said was a key point is Sky Creek never felt like it was getting cut. That's, that's the cornerstone of the strategy of saying, I need to end up in Sky Craig. I'm just going to somewhat force Sky Craig. Is it really like the, the uncommons and the good commons were just always there. Signals seemed somewhat fake from the couple pack, or I only did one run or part of one run, so I only saw one draft, but the, it did not seem like you could read signals and get that much information out of them like i don't know how or i don't want to exaggerate that too much obviously there's you should have been open to either ending up like a lesion or maybe praxis or possibly stone scar or film something like that i don't think you know for sure you were gonna end up in sky craig but you but a heavy bias towards sky craig with pivoting into a, a fire or primal pair is where you wanted to end up being and you weren't like there, there just wasn't a, didn't seem like there was a big punish for trying to say, okay, I'm gonna do whatever the signals tell me to, including a justice deck or including Xenon. It just because I, I think the packs were taken as snapshots from very early on in the format. There was less coherent signals than there are now when you do a draft. Where now, you, like in the normal queues, you can read signals. And it's, of course, what you should be doing, not forcing. It really isn't the case in bot packs. Well, if you think of it in the form of signals, I would even say that, like, I think my draft started off with me, like, briefly in Elysian of, like, I picked up a lot of primal cards in pack one, and then uh, I had a couple of decent time cards. And, like, fire kind of came after. But I I feel like where I really don't think I forced Skycrag... Um, it just felt like Skycrag was open, and but it was open, I would assume, for lots of players because there's, if you look at, don't get wrong, some people absolutely force Skycrag, and I don't fault anyone for doing that, but there's probably lots of players who were very open with what they were going to draft. I was not planning to force Skycrag. I would have absolutely drafted, you know, Archerport or something, if that was what seemed right, um, who ended up in Skycrag because um, the decks were all so good. That the signal is you keep getting these good cards, which it means you should play it. Um, and I, and it, this keeps happening in draft opens, unfortunately. But uh, when everyone's deck is so good, they have to, at least some amount of those players have to just be reading the signal that oh, Skycrag seems open, and it just happens. That's true for everyone else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So may, maybe I'm going a bit too far in uh, my opinion on it, but the, the, 
the packs were just stuffed with powerful uncommons and you know which faction pair has the best uncommons and the most of them yeah it was they, no they were chock full of busted uncommons like it was it was a field day for uncommons every person's deck i played against like i think my round my round two opponent just played like three wind screamers for example i played it against people with you know two or three dark heart acolytes etc it's just like this is the early rounds and it just never stopped and I I think it's important to say that these packs being different from the normal queue does not diminish anyone's accomplishment. It's just similar to, okay, I guess I don't want to go too far out of my uh, area of expertise, but, you know, it is it wrong for a soccer player to notice the grass is wet and recognize that may change some aerodynamics? You know, that's kind of what recognizing its bot packs is is recognizing the ground is wet for some uh athletic competition i i totally agree with that like it, it it's just something that if you recognize it and there are things you are able to do to adapt to it and you do that like you'll get an advantage so what was your day two deck like well um for those who look at my twitter you'll know exactly what my day two deck looked like and how i felt but i drafted sky craig Real shocker. Um, my deck is all good cards. Um, I picked up uh, some, I'll just mention some like noteworthy things because I ended up having, when it comes to how my games would play out for Skycrag, a very, at least for me, a very unique Skycrag deck. So I picked up a Battlefront Dasher and a Terrax mount, which were both, especially the mount, were super important. A uh, card that I'm not always the highest on, but mattered a lot was Zealot of Shafka, uh, which if you don't know what that is, it's a two cost two two. They cost double fire that deals two to your opponent. Um, I have two engravers, which were you know they were buffs. So I just want to point them out. I have zero copies of Wind Screamer or Dark Heart Acolyte, which was terrifying to realize. Um, uh, I have a Canivers Terror. I have a Cloudline Shaman. I have two Skycrag Adepts. But then where I think my deck becomes the most interesting is I have two copies of Icicles, a Soulfire. Two reverberating strikes, a hoof stomp, and a uh, riot flip. So instead of leaning on these busted three drops, I won games where my opponent was at like 16 and they just died to burn. Uh, like I just kept burning people out. It was a very weird draft because that is not normally how you play draft. Um, sure, sometimes you get your opponent with Soulfire and whatever. Like it, it's happened. You know, Obliterate was is a reasonable card in draft. Um, cards like Stone Scar Maul, you could view it as burn sometimes. Um, like your least favorite card. I like Maul. Please shush. You know that's false at this point. <laughs> it just won't go away. Um, but it was very like a really weird Skycrack deck. And yeah, I encourage everyone to go to my Twitter and look at it. And of note, the picture and I say this on Twitter, the out muscle in that picture becomes a riot flame, which was an amazing decision. But I ended up with this Skycrag burn deck that didn't have as much explosive uh, games or especially that lack of frenzy that so many other players, including every other Skycrag player I played against, had access to. Like my first three rounds, I think, were all people who I look at their deck list and go, like, all right, this is Operation Beat Dark Heart Acolyte or thoughts like that. Um, and so I guess instead, you know, I have Icicles that answers those cards. Um, or kills my opponent, which came up a lot. But my deck 
was, you know, every card is good, but I was a little underwhelmed. And a part of that was I've never drafted a deck like this where I felt so, like, looking back on it, where I could be so confident that I had, a like, an actual burn deck. That's weird. But, uh, or, you know, as close as you possibly can in draft, obviously. I wasn't just turn three icicling face. Um, but there's two messages that uh, I have sent. One of them was on Twitter. The other one was sent privately to you. Because I, I know you weren't awake when it started. Uh, so I sent you my my deck. And it has a little message above it. It says the words, we aren't happy. And then on Twitter, there's a, uh, a message that I put on there as well after the event. Which was I posted my deck in uh, TRS. And I said the words, I don't think my deck is bringing me to worlds. <laughs> and... I can honestly say when I drafted my deck, and because my for those who don't know, my partner has played and like hit Masters and Eternal and stuff, so like I could tell her that like a little bit more than uh, okay, like the tournaments go okay. Like I could tell her that you know I'm not really happy with my draft, and here's kind of why. And so I also said to her, I'm like my deck. Basically, what I said to her was my deck is fine, my cards are good, but I didn't get any of the cards that like. I really felt like if I'm going to do well in this event, I really need a couple copies of these to pull some weight. And I will go and say, I really do wish I had those cards. Um, but I, I genuinely did feel like after the draft that my deck was good, but not good enough to win a tournament because there were people who are just going to have better like units to play out on curve that, although I had some answers, were uh, they were just going to be way more efficient than I was. And, I did firmly believe that when I drafted my deck. That's not some exaggeration. So what have you felt matters in the Skycrag mirror? Because you're obviously expecting to play uh, that a lot, but also in general, just the Primal X semi-mirror and the Fire X semi-mirror. What Break down those three kinds of matchups. So I really feel like in those matchups, what you're looking for is like you're fighting for initiative the whole time. You have these cards like Skycrack Data that can end up, you know, if I get you low enough, I can end the game with some burn. Uh, then there's plenty of flying in Primal, for example, and there's these cards like Dark Heart Acolyte that really do, like, warp a game around it sometimes. Um, and so your plan is usually kill your opponent before they matter, or kill the Acolyte, or lose the game. And so I really feel like in those matchups, what you're looking for is to be the one who's, who's attacking. And I will say throughout this entire tournament, I was just attacking. I there were very very few games where I blocked, um, and I like that was very important. Is it was constantly looking for ways to get a few extra points. And of course, I had burned, so my deck was a little bit like more geared towards that. Uh, you know, if you could push an extra point here, it might be important. But in general, I think it's about flying. And getting the initiative, because sometimes you also need to play these cards that are a little slower. Adept, Hermit is good, but Hermit doesn't do anything when it enters. It doesn't you know, help kill units when it enters, but you can get in like 8 points of damage, or you know, more like 6 usually if they block it uh, due to its overwhelm. So these cards that are more of an investment, if, you're give the, if you could get in a position where you could afford to play those cards, they do so much work. And so, um, I heard on coverage, they mentioned they felt like matchups could also come down to kind of Drifter versus Scaly Gruen, and I agree to that as well, where if one person could get in a position where they could block, it's great. But 
there's so many things like cards with flying and Terry X mount, things like that. And there's good removal around that. I, I The short answer is I think it's getting into positions where you're the one who can make attacks because in these mirrors, I think it's very hard to make a comeback. And it's also very easy to close the game once you get ahead. Um, yeah, I, that's what comes to my mind. Uh, but do you want like some specific cards or specific cards would be good? Uh, Skagra, because that card, there's, this is a unit, uh, we talked about this last time we drafted this format too. This is a small unit format, which means Gron blocks like five drops sometimes. Uh, so I think Gron is really important. If you can get any of those like really good contract, uh, one cost on Cobbins, like I had the Dasher and the Mount, uh, just to get initiative immediately. But Gron, I think cards like, uh, Cobbler, where that just outstats everything, but also cards like Green Stretch Griffin, which if you're ahead and you get to a point where like you have any flyer in place, so you get to unleash it. It's really hard to lose a game where you unleash Griffin in those mirrors. But even just the three cost two two flyer ends up being so good. Um, I really think cards like you know Dark Heart Acolyte and Wind Screamer are super important. And then one card I want to highlight because. So many of the units are similar in stats, and there's lots of X1s and stuff. Is Reverberating Strike is a card that, in many formats, I'd tell you is totally terrible. But in this one, besides triggering Frenzy, it kills lots of things. But also, it can really push you through combat. You know, your 3-2 now kills Scaly Gruon, and things like that. Where, again, if you could get in a position where you could have the priority, uh, and you, you, know, you have initiative... So you can make the attacks and you can have a card like strike. That's so much different than casting strike while you're on the, the defense. Unless it like clears the board because it's like Grumbo's platoons or something. But uh, there's so many cards like strike too that if you're at all ahead, they can push you so unbelievably ahead. And so I would also highlight strike, uh, even though it's definitely not usually one of the best cards in decks. I think it in these mirrors really pays off and plus it's like a great skycrag adept hit which is i would think a pretty i don't know if i should say core card in the mirror but if you have access to it and you can get in any position where you could play an adept it's super swingy for those mirrors so those are a couple cards i'd highlight so let's get into the matches you played any specific matches and plays you remember and want to talk about plays you really liked plays you cringe at the thought of so i can honestly sit here and tell you i am not aware of any massive fuck-ups on my behalf during this event um and i what i i think i not in a cocky sense but i think i played some really good eternal and what i'm really happy with before i get in any specifics was i think i like what i did best in this event was finding opportunities to push damage and what i mean more with that is you know, figure out when you go kind of all in because of a contract. But also, when I chose to be attacking, I'm really happy with the choices I made. Uh, I, for example, in... Although it, I got absolutely blown out in this game, so it didn't pay off. I look kind of like a moron. Uh, game two of the finals. Uh, my opponent's on five for a long time, five power. They have a two, three insect swarm in hand. And they have a unit that's bigger than basically everything else I have. So the entire game, I'm sitting there knowing that if they ever draw the power for play two insect swarms in one turn, I'm probably not winning this game. Um, just my units really were, I was drawing everything that lined up badly into that. You know, lots of zealots and things like that. And so 
even that game that I got absolutely bro uh, blown out by Caustic Rain, the pacing I took that game to get a bit of damage here and there, and, and then the turns I was setting up for, um, like the turn they drew, or I think it was the turn after they drew rain, but there was one turn I very much all in, so next turn I could just push, and I had something like a, an Icicles or maybe a Reverberating Strike, something to follow up that board really well. Um, so I, I think when that was like the thing I was happiest with myself during the event is those, like knowing the tightrope, of when I'm attacking, when I'm pushing damage. Um, but that's what I've always loved about aggro decks too, in general, is figuring out those situations. For specific matches, um, I think the best match I played was probably against Dark Avenger, uh, which was my top, like, win that, you make top eight. Um, Dark had a really good Skycrag deck, uh, had lots of these super powerful cards, and our games, all three games were really, really good. Um, and I, playing them i know i i was quite surprised that i'm not winning the match um uh, i felt like his deck i i haven't looked at it like since to really rethink it but in the tournament i thought his deck was you know better than mine but the way the games played out which uh kind of described a lot of what i said earlier for how we can expect the mirror um navigating myself to those wins really was a lot of work um my match with Stormblast was interesting um and that was what like beat Stormblast makes top four um, but also the finals. I want to point out game one. Uh, so game one, I make a play that I'm very happy with. And that was basically, I have a great opportunity to clear off a Windscreamer. What happens here, I'm at some almost full life. So my opponent attacks with Towering Terrazon. And the order matters here. They attack with Terrazon. I see a pause. They play Windscreamer and then activate Makeshift Barrier. Um, them telling me that pause cost them the game almost for sure. Um, because uh, I have a two attack flyer and a uh, engraver on board. They're at 13 and my hand is Icicles, Bullseye, Reverberating Strike. And I like passed turn, I, so I had like six power. And they attacked, they've already used their stone skin. And the other pause I was worried about that game was Thunder Pop, which with that board and them having a Terrazana stuff already, like that Thunder Pop is a giant problem. Um, so the play I decided to make when I realized that they attack with Terrazon and they have that pause, and it's one of those two cards and one of them are, sorry, I didn't state what the second card that pause could be. Bathe in the Light. That card's a beating. Um, for those who yeah, don't know. A, a burn deck. <laughs> yeah, for those who don't know, it's a six cost time spell. It has inscribed. It says gain, it's fast. It says gain six life and you... And your units can't take damage this turn. So that's a huge swing. They're already at 13. They're getting the board back. You know, my board's pretty bad. Um, and I don't think attacking with the Terrazon was awful. Let me state that. But giving me that pause info was big. And so what I did, instead of killing that Windscreamer, because they made their barrier into a 2-2 fire, which is a 3-3 because Screamer, was I striked and bullseyed the Screamer. I know, or not the Screamer, the, uh, what does Makeshift Barrier make? Whirly Twirly, I think. Yeah. I kill that because I'm looking at my hand. So I have an Icicles left over. I'm attacking with a 3-2 that they're not going to jump and a 2-2 two, two, fire. So they're going to 8 and I have an Icicles in hand and an Icicles in deck. I draw an Icicles and my opponent dies. If I don't know that, I might try to make a more reserve like that pause. I might try to make a more reserved play where like I kill the Wind Screamer on their turn. And then I Icicles their flyer, which would put them at 6 uh, instead. And then I'm kind of... Hoping the top cards of my deck are good. 
But by telling me that pause, which was also the card in their deck that was like by far the scariest thing they could have anyways. So by kind of by confirming that to me, uh, I decided to play to drawing something like a second Icicles or other burn spells um, or like add up things like that stuff where the game plan immediately shifted into I have to beat the card bathing light with my burn deck when I'm about to lose the board. Um, which is obviously a big ask. And so I played to the second Icicles and other cards like that, and the top card of my deck was Icicle. And so I just aided my opponent. And even after the tournament, it, uh, a Discord that I'm in with the person who ended up winning the tournament, Fiend, which congratulations to them, uh, they even asked me, like, were you playing to the second Icicles? And I was. Um, and that's, I mean, we've talked about sequencing, and that's when I was, uh, like, when I was streaming constantly, I would talk about sequencing so much and that was one of the times where you know my opponent got punished by their sequencing and i got rewarded by picking up on their sequencing so much um and even like okay they made the attack I, that makes me think it's even more likely bathing like because now they're trying to say like they're in a winning position uh so i got very much paid off for kind of playing to that so I, that was probably like the best play i made of the day um besides that uh, there's a couple other, you know, tiny plays I made that were like, I could pat myself on the back a little bit because I'm like, I know this was a good play and it worked out. Uh, there was what against Stormblast, for example, when I had a bunch of extra power from two engraver tokens. But that was the big ones by, you know, by game two, as I said earlier, I got just blown out by Caustic Rain when I was already in a bad spot. So I was playing to my outs. And then the finals, um, I might I might get to say I'm the most unlucky player in a finals now. It might be true. Uh, I definitely lost like at minimum a 95 percenter. But uh, for those who haven't seen, I died with two icicles in hand after like five or six draw steps of just sitting there with my opponent dead to like 10 different cards in my deck um, and just never drew second prime wound, never drew, you know, a riot flame or any of these cards that would kill my opponent at two. Um, I can, I do want to just mention for a second, I can honestly say I just, I'm not mad or don't care that much about that. Um, it's a funny match. My I've now lost two finals to some like both of the finals I've lost have been very very memorable. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think there were any matches that I honestly feel like I really punted. I think I I kept some risky hands that I'm happy I did, and some of them did not pay off. Uh, I don't know who it was against, but I definitely kept you know a mono fire hand that was good if I even draw another firepower just didn't go anywhere um but yeah i don't think i like threw any games that i'm aware of and i'm really happy with my play i think i although i haven't been playing much i really feel like this was an event where i got to show up at kind of peak in-game skill um and i'm very proud of that i didn't see every match but i was trying to catch them throughout the day and the ones i did they were fun to watch they were playing well i missed the finals though because i had to go on a bike ride before the sun set and i I, I cared a lot less about watching that after I knew you had made top four. I didn't even care if I won the finals. Like, I, I, obviously, to <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I, you know, I lost $500 and I would really, I really do want to win an open. I don't have that to my name yet, but, uh, I, I should state this actually. Um, I had thought about, you know, many times, like, how am I going to feel if I ever qualify for worlds? And, I wasn't sure if it would affect my play for the rest of the event, if it was the top four route. I really don't think it did. And I certainly expected I was going to qualify and just sit here and cry. 
I didn't. That was later. That was after the event. Um, but I definitely, the way I predicted it would go, like, for my mental and stuff was not at all how it played out. And uh, once I, like, my top four match was one of the fastest tournament matches I've ever played. Like, the one that get, brought me to the finals. But I, I don't think qualifying affected me too much. But the money was nice. But at that point, I was just playing there. Like, I've made worlds. Nothing bad can happen. Uh, so, yeah, I... I don't know if I would have stuck around and not went on that bike ride either kind of thing, like, if we swap roles, because uh, the job was done. Uh, you kind of answered uh, what was going to be my next question, which was just, you know, how did it feel afterward, you know? Well... Any, or Go on. Well, I, I would... Like, it's a very interesting experience, you know. I... You should all try it. Everybody listening should qualify for a world. It's really cool. Yeah, it's what a, you feel. It's a unique experience, and it's not what you predict. Um, I definitely didn't jump up and down giddy, which I also thought was possible. I just, it just kind of happened, and I part of it was I did not accept it happened until like Monday morning, maybe like right before I left to go on a walk. I think it kind of started to hit me that like, oh shit, I've qualified for Worlds after four years. Um, but I mean, I won, and immediately I hit the call button on Discord to you, um, and it definitely. So I think the part that was the most interesting is how it affects you playing a match. I don't think it affected my play, but you definitely are a little more nervous. Uh, and obviously having to beat Stormblast to qualify, who sat there with a Black Maw Carnosaur against my burn deck, um, is not an easy task. And uh, I think, you know, I definitely w would say I was more nervous for my, you know, the match that qualified me than anything else. But afterwards... I think the feeling, like a one-word answer, I guess, to how I felt was relief. Um, I don't. I never wanted to be in a position where, like, I mean, everyone knows how much I've put into Eternal. Uh, we've had a lot of really, really good players, you know, say very positive things about how they feel about me as like a my skill as a player. Um, and I never wanted to be in a position where, like, who knows, you know, how much on girl play eternal and things like that. I never wanted to be like, well, I didn't even accomplish the goal in my time playing. Uh, so I felt very relieved to be like, I've now done the thing. And now I obviously I'm looking forward to worlds. It certainly sparks some more motivation in you when you qualify. Um, and like, I think now what it has, it's made me also feel very content in the say in the way of, I mean, I obviously don't want to come last at Worlds, but someone has to. I think regardless of how Worlds goes, I will feel content with what I have done now in Eternal, where until this point, I was not happy with the fact that I have not qualified. Uh, I have, you know, I don't have the most day twos, that's sunny, but I've I've always been in the top few people with day twos. Wouldn't shock me if I have like the most or second most actual top 16s, etc. Um, I've had a very successful eternal tournament career but not ne never making it to worlds so like that's something that definitely would eat at me at times it was something that to me i i guess i would word it as like i felt like it needed to happen uh for my own sake and so i remember right before the event like right before drafting thinking to myself like okay this is, i have a way better chance of winning this than any other way this year this is the time you know the cash it on your one time kind of thing and then i drafted my deck i didn't like um <laughs> but that, that's genuinely like how I felt before the event. It's like, this is the best opportunity I've got. 
I feel very confident in my ability to draft this format given the right out like you know you need to still see good cards you could be think of a uh, collector at worlds last year who was definitely you know one of the strongest draft players has always been and they just owed three the draft and they streamed his draft his deck just sucked and i don't think he saw very many good cards like it felt very out of his hands i felt very prepared that given the right opportunities i could do very well in this event and so uh yeah i think qualifying made me feel very content and relieved happy didn't hit me right away at all um which is surprising right you think you you just accomplished your massive goal you should be sat here smiling and happy but that did not happen right away um and i don't know if it i don't know if it truly did that night but after and like when i got to see my partner the first time after the event who for those who don't know i've been dating my partner since before eternal got competitive like uh tournaments she's She's seen the ups and the downs with me in tournaments, and these affect us in different ways. I've had certain tournaments that definitely hurt uh, to, you know, lose in or beat yourself up over because you brought the wrong deck or whatever. She's seen every side of that with me, uh, and is definitely, like, my biggest supporter as well. I think when we got to, like, sit down and talk a little bit about it, that's when I got to feel happy about it. And so I know I'm going on, but relief and satisfaction um and now proud but i don't know if i was proud that night uh but now i'm very proud of myself for doing it and i feel like the work i've put into eternal i don't want to say words like finally got paid off um as in in a way where it's like i should be expecting this but i felt like i have gotten now to a point where uh i got out of it uh what i wanted uh yeah so I guess that is kind of exactly what I'm saying. And that's the that's the thing about card games that is uh, can be hard to keep in mind is no work is ever going to be guaranteed to give a measurable reward. Like, yes, you put in the work and you deserve this, but that does not mean the probability will work out in a way that you get it. But that only makes getting it so much more satisfying. You know, you... Uh, uh, I don't know exactly what I'm trying to say, but it like it it is a huge relief when it does happen. Well, just to add to your point, we've had times where we feel very confident even after the event. We're like, you know, what? we brought the best deck. We didn't win. We, maybe we didn't even do that well, but we really felt like it. Or um, there's a a tournament. I wouldn't be able to tell you you know every detail about it. I beat second blue who, for those who were around what second move was, that guy was incredible, um, in a Geneve uh, Peaks mirror. And I've brought up this tournament many times because I, I ended up losing to Kamado in top either 8 or 16. But I can comfortably say and stand by that I think I was probably the, like, the most likely person to win that event. I felt very, very good at Geneve. I felt like the list that... Uh, me and the rest of the, you know, the version of TRS that existed at that time brought to the event was just the best deck. And I felt like we had an amazing understanding of how to play the matchups, which that's, I will mention, that is the best feeling ever in Constructed is when not only do you feel good about your deck, but in each matchup, you feel like you could tell me the play patterns. Like that's how prepared you are. That event, I think to this day, is the event where I was the most likely person to win the event. I didn't. I didn't even make money. And 
that's like totally fine. But that's like I'm saying that in agreement with your point is you can be you can have everything or be at the very best play, et cetera. You can have everything going for you and just not get paid off. Um, and it happens many times. There's also been events, I'm sure. I wouldn't be able to immediately think of one, but it's definitely happened. Where we bring the wrong deck and someone gets paid off. Just, you know, they do super well. Uh, and they might look like a genius, but we could comfortably sit there and go, yeah, we we were off. We've definitely done that. Um, like, for Worlds, the Worlds, like that Ace won. Yep. Our deck in Expedition was not the deck to bring. No, we, we, we missed. Sling, but, but Sling was not what you were supposed to bring. Yeah, and, like, I remember how... Because we do this yearly podcast with Gallup where, you know, me and Gallup reviewed the decks for Worlds. So I guess if you don't qualify, we're going to need to have you and Gallup do it. I don't know what happens if you suddenly qualify. Um, but uh, Tim and Gallup. Or we could try someone like Aeson. Oh, yeah, Aeson. Well, that would be fun. I'd have to yeah. edit out a lot of things. But uh, I like we do that cast. And I remember that Worlds, you know, having sat there, helped you prepare so much. And sitting there with Gallup going, you know what? You guys brought a way better deck than us to Expedition. And it was true. We missed. Um, and sometimes you still get paid off. I don't remember. Maybe you do. Do you remember how well you guys did in Expedition that year? Uh, um, I don't remember off the top of my head. Okay, just was curious. But yeah, sometimes you don't get paid off. Sometimes you get paid off and you're like, I didn't even do the thing to get paid off. But it feels so good when it finally, I guess, becomes your day, so to say. And the payoff is there. I want to mention something. We've both now qualified for Worlds on Draft. I'm so proud of that fact because we sucked. And I mean, we talk, we've been talking about this now for two years, right? The event where we both, you top four, I top eight it at the beginning of last year. But I'm so happy, although I was always a constructed player, to get to say that I made it on Worlds via drafting. That feels unbelievably good. Yeah, it really does. <laughs> I don't think i have any other questions for you anything else at all you want to say before we move on to patron questions i'll think for a sec um i'm really curious like this isn't answering question or anything but i guess i'm really curious how i'm going to feel going into worlds um i don't think my bet right now and i think next cast we should talk about kind of the state of like the formats and stuff just because we're trying to keep this cast short because i have like work to get back to for those like listening um but things like I don't I'm not currently now that the pressure's off, I'm not planning right now to play the last open this year. Um, because I don't like how Throne looks right now. But that's you know, let's not go into that right now. But I'm really curious how I'm going to feel preparing for worlds where I mean I've been involved with helping you prepare and uh I help prepare well, I've helped you prepare two years. I've also was there when Popo went um at Cape Second. And so I've been involved with the process, but never the decision of, you know, I don't make the final say on what deck you guys brought, for example. Um, I wonder if my mindset will be different for a world championship than an open uh, when it comes to just how I approach anything. And I really have no idea. And of course, I'm I'm backed by a bunch of amazing people, including yourself, like uh, who have that experience. But Worlds is going to be an in a very interesting experience that i'm very happy i now like actually get to have um but i am unbelievably relieved and so excited for worlds um and i will state i don't have the entire list of players like 
on my mind who's qualified for Worlds. But every single person I could think of that's at Worlds right now is terrifying. Like, this field is great. And we have four people who've qualified on top fours. That Last year it was two, right? So, hell, we're in a scenario now. We have one more open. If anyone back, like, does the top four thing, does the LCQ get canceled? Like, I don't know. But I don't think, I don't think any thought was put into that. <laughs> well, I don't think they needed to expect it to happen either kind of thing. It just did. Um, and so if that happens, uh, then all hell is going to briefly break loose, especially if two people make the top four and then we have 17 players at Worlds. But, uh, I'm very excited about things and I'm also excited to sit back for a tournament now, relax, prepare for Worlds. And it's definitely set in now of like, oh shit, this has happened. And I do want to state, because I mean, people know I'm a 22 year old student who's, or I'm a 22 year old who has their own place, uh, like apartment, who is doing a master's. You don't get paid for it. Even the money matters. Like, I mean, obviously it does, but like getting the money can be life-changing as well. So yeah, this has just been an amazing, like, I guess, thing to happen. Um, yeah, I'm rambling, I realize, but worlds happen. So I guess I get to ramble. Uh, one question for you. Uh, has it feel to now get to say that the uh, podcast has an average of two worlds qualifications? Uh, great, although it's the situation I second most want to cause that to happen. Well, just bring it to two point five. Just win your fourth. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, if I uh, should we uh, dive into some questions? Yeah, uh, you can lead the patron questions. Yeah, and uh, I if I say any that we've already. Uh, uh, answered let me know but i think i know like how far back to go so first of all we have patrons to thank uh so especially where we've been kind of offline for a while because life has happened um i want to thank our patrons who continue to support us we very much appreciate you um so those patrons are odsos poising sky 4 d-dub magikarp oh my god i forgot to say this nominus uh Night Owl 6, Star, Telemokos, The Overmaster, Axon Jackson, Cotillion, J-Mag, Jez2718, Kids Neelock, Corey Emery, Skith, The Rock, and Yeast Out. Thank you guys all for your continued support. We really do appreciate you. So I think the first question is from September 8th uh, <laughs> from Skith, which is, has Boxers... There's two parts, so I'll, I'll first ask... Uh, like, or two questions here. So first, has Boxer started to branch out and brew in Legends of Runeteria, or still basically neck-decking the top tiers? Just neck-decking still. I feel like Runeteria is not a game that, like, gives me a lot of reason to want to explore deck-building in the first place, though. I don't know if you are left feeling this way, too. I feel the same about Hearthstone. Yeah, I, I just don't think the auto-mana system uh, lends itself to interesting deck-building. There's still some room... And they're still picking the right champions and combinations of champions in a lineup. But yeah, there's not a ton of room for deck building. Although I will say that Seraphine decks where you want to have unique spells has kind of opened up a bit of space. Uh, the second question from Skith uh, is, what do you both think of the Gauntlet system as it stands and how would you improve it? So this is for those donors. This is also Runeterra's uh, like weekly Gauntlet they have. Actually, I haven't played in any gauntlets yet, so I don't fully know how it works. Uh, so, yeah, I'll give an answer once I understand it. What do you think? Um, I think it's fine. The only thing is I think there is probably a little bit too much feel bad with the very 
last game where basically as long as you don't lose how it works you play four match like you have to win four total but how you start off as like zero zero unless you lose two games in a row uh that's when you like actually lose the gauntlet otherwise you keep progressing as long as you can like alternate wins except you have to win the last match so you can go like lose win lose win lose win and then you must win that last game i would probably prefer if they just made this double elimination because it feels horrible to just lose that last game and go 3-0 on the way there um and i also don't actually love the idea of being able to do exactly that alternating pattern i mentioned so i would personally prefer if they made it double elimination I think you should find some way to be rewarded for going undefeated to the end. Kind of a weird system. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. This one is from Kids New York. Why do you think that we very rarely see less than four of Zeta Turtle decklists compared to most other TCGs? TRS in particular runs decks that consist almost entirely of four ofs. Occasionally with a two of if you want to run 25 power. Comparatively, games like Magic or Legends of Runeterra very often have decklists at one, two, and doves. So... I think generally uh, we've run like more decks with one of than a lot of people have. Uh, like the one of Huru Vow in the um, world's control list. And like I posted my Vox list that I won with in the Discord, which has a ton of one of and two ofs. I think in Magic, there's often a lot more roughly similar cards that you'd rather draw one of each there's a lot more options for removal in magic i think and so whether you want to play shock or pillar of flame because of the exile but it's sorcery speed it, stuff like that gets you to split removal spells in magic i think there's generally more is that i was about to say there's generally more card draw in magic but i don't know if that's true when you're sideboarding you're trying to hit certain numbers of certain effects after sideboard and so you'll sometimes put certain copies in your main deck because they're good enough against the average field uh but you really want them for one specific matchup and you might board them out in a lot of matchups but you need them in their main deck to fit them in your 75 for certain matchups and that's kind of the sideboard leaking into the main although really you should it should be built as a coherent thing where you can you're trying to get to a certain number of certain types of effects in certain matchups and you might have to do some balancing and you won't get quite as many as you want and you might say well i want to be able to cut this many removal spells against control or i want to cut um this many top end planeswalkers against aggro and you're trying to find cards that can work in different matchups to sideboard in and so that'll end up with weird numbers i i think in general magic also had more redundancy in cards not like removal specifically but in other areas too where there's multiple cards that do a very similar job and it's not quite clear which one you'll want to have always and it's better to draw one of each um there's also generally more tutors in magic i think in runeterra you can run a maximum of three of any card so that explains the three ofs there um in terms of the one ofs and Two ofs, I think a lot of decks will run one copy of a really expensive card that can close out games. Like, I think it's the Dread Ship in, uh, or Dreadway in Gangplank decks. Yeah, the Gangplank drawing uh, card, right? Yeah. Yeah, one to, like, and, usually one of. Yeah, it'll be things like that. 
And generally, your early game in proactive decks, you will run a, the maximum copies of the stuff unless you're like, oh, I need a ninth one drop in a magic deck. But proactive cards, you're rarely going to be splitting them. If they're cheap, you might split Planeswalkers that you board in in a proactive deck. But generally, the core proactive elements of your deck, you're going to run mostly the maximum you can. And then reactive elements, there's more reason to split. What are your thoughts on this? So we're, we're in agreement. And I want to point something out. It's redundancy um, is a huge part of this. So for example, I've played a lot of Magic Modern Jund as one of my all-time favorite decks in any game. Uh, Jund typically plays six cards that cost one and make sure you look at their hand, you discard a card from it. So what they do, you can only play four of a specific card. So you take, you pick four of what you think is the better of the uh, options between the one-cost discard spells. And then you are playing, like, you play, like, four of that and two of another copy as that redundant effect. But really, you just want six of something. And then you split it based on what you think is the actual better one. So usually you would actually play six of, if you could, that logic would state you would actually play six copies of whatever you think the best one of those discard spells is, instead of playing the four two, if there wasn't a, uh, like a maximum number you could play. Now, immediately saying that, I know that changes everything about how a game would be designed. If you don't have that cap, so that doesn't actually work if we start talking about decks where you can play as many of whatever as you want. Conversation sick. So that comes up a lot in Magic, where in, uh, as you said, in, say, Eternal, a lot of the cards in your deck do a unique thing. There is four copies of Kenna. That's as many Kennas as exist. Uh, there's no almost Kenna or almost Jack or anything like that. A lot of your decks are filled with very unique effects. So as an example, I've set their Magic. It's like, okay. If they have, uh, for Magic Jun, usually they have those six discards, and then there's a Planeswalker they play. Uh, if you don't play Magic, think of it, they play a little bit like Sights, where you get a recursive effect every turn um, that has an effect where you can, uh, both players would discard a card. You can do that once a turn. So that's 10 cards, and there's 60 cards that you can impact by hand. And so instead of looking at my hand in a turn, I'm going, okay, I'm this hand is great, except if they have Varbuck in a game like Magic, you'll sit there and go, My hand is great, unless they have a discard card. And that, that's a usually a lot more than four copies of whatever that worry is. So the cards in a turtle, I guess you define them as they are more unique uh, from each other. Or, nope, I'm not going to give a math example to help with this. Like, uh, but in Runeterra, what happens, and you're right about like you pick. If you're a proactive deck, you decide, I really think it's important to play however many one-drops, so I really want to hit a one-on-one, and then I want my turn two to be two more ones, for example. You design your deck that way, and then they even do, if we use Dreadway as an example, so for those who don't know, the champion cards are the main, you know, the highlight cards, so to say, of Runeterra decks. Not always, but just in general. And then there's some cards that basically they ha- they're expensive, they have an effect, but then they say, like, when you play them, draw a copy of a certain champion. So Dreadway is one of them. It costs eight, which is a ton. It has an effect. Basically, everything you, you do has deals double damage. And it draws a copy of Gangplank. Well, you're going to play your three Gangplanks first. That's max. And then sometimes they will play a fourth Dreadway. And not necessarily because they want 
or a, they'll play a dreadway because they want to have kind of like four ways to find a gank point. Um, there are different ones. For example, the Swain one, Leviathan, is just a good card. So they play three Swain and three Leviathan, not necessarily because they keep wanting to draw Swain, although they do want to draw their Swain. Um, and so a turtle has the case where things are more unique, but in Runeterra uh, and Magic, you try to build your decks with more redundancy than, it, say, in a turtle. Uh, and then also in Runeterra, as you said, They'll play a couple more expensive cards, and one of the reasons for that is where you're only looking at 40 cards, and it's not that hard to draw a couple extra cards in Runeterra, is in the matchups where you could really go for that really expensive payoff card, like, and you play like one of it, the probability that you actually see it over the course of a game in the kind of matchups where you want it is much higher than like a one of in Eternal. Uh, and so they'll feel like it's worth it to say, if I have a one copy of this card, that I can win against like the the controlling decks, but and the control decks kill me so slowly that I should see seventy five percent of my deck. Then playing one of it is probably fantastic, but that's that would be thirty cards deep in your deck. I don't want to play a one of I don't know Scourge of the Frost Home in any deck in a turtle because it will win me the matchup against a control deck, which that might not even be true. But again, we'll just go with. It. So I think we're in agreement. I think I may have just restated a lot of things you said, but. Uh, shall I move on to our next question? Yeah. From Kit Sneelock, who is the Mario and who is the Luigi on the on the Backlash podcast? Um, I don't know why. I think you're the Mario and the Luigi. Uh, I don't I can, know. And the I reason can probably is, jump slightly higher than you and run faster. That's not wrong. I probably have more enemies than you, so it sounds like you're right. Um, but I have to admit, I actually am someone who just from like when I got my first consoles and handheld things etc um i have never owned a mario game you're missing out i know my partner has a switch and that's very useful because you know there's mario kart and there's any other mario game they're all amazing the, the also the 3D, offensive one go ahead the the 3d mario games are probably just some of the best video games i've ever played of all time i'm actually planning to get uh, a switch like I probably get uh, some of my family to like split by a switch at me over for Christmas, um, and that's part of the reason I want to play Mario. But I've also never played Zelda. I certainly I just made some people unsubscribe from our podcast. Sorry, <laughs> but, those are good, but really, like they, I don't think they compare to the the 3D Mario games. Like Super Mario Galaxy is just a master. I've played like a little bit of that game, just you know, given some opportunity briefly, but not much. Um, but I know how good it is. Um, next question. Uh, Yeast out. So they asked in game three of the finals, we were going to check how many turns were left until you hit a primal sigil. Uh, so I did a little interview on Overmaster stream right after, uh, the broadcast ended. So I checked then. So painfully, my opponent's at two and I don't mean to say this in a mean way. My opponent made a mistake in the very last turn, or I guess their second last turn, uh, which is they attack with everything. I had a battle for Dasher in my deck. Uh, so I looked after, I missed, you know, on my draw step that turn, I drew, uh, I don't, Cloud, Cloud Snake Shaman? Cloud something so, Shaman? I don't know the card name. Uh, I don't remember it off the top of my head either. Uh, it makes think? the the Serpent for Contract 4. Um, very good card. Very much rubbed in the face, I didn't have Double Primal. But the next three cards in my deck were Battlefront, or was... was Shaman. Oh, okay. Were Zealot, Battlefront Dasher and Primal Sigil. All three of them kill my opponent. 
So yeah, I was three cards away from a primal sigil. Um, I had seven sources of primal left in my deck because I, I had turn one inscribed to scale hide that game, and that was the only primal I saw. Uh, all right, I'm really curious if you'll get how well you do on this. We're gonna play Never Has Jiri Ever. Uh, so for those who don't know the rules of this game, um, someone in our Patreon gives a question, uh, gives five questions. August is to guess if I have done or not done these tasks or these things. And then uh, if he gets three of them right, he wins. Otherwise, he loses. Uh, I don't know if you've, if you've lost. So I don't think I lost so. Once, I, think. I, I know I lost once when it was never as August ever. So first one, uh, pulled an all-nighter in brackets, literally ne- not swept, to turn in an assignment or study for a test. I'm sure you have. I know you have a terrible sleep schedule. I have never done that ever. I you're lucky. miserable. Yes, yes. I have never been someone who likes to stay up all night to you know prepare for exams or something. Um, and I've talked with <coughs> sorry, I was sick for like two and a half weeks. Um, I've talked about on this podcast like before exams, like the night before exams, I play video games. Like I try to be very calm. I didn't expect it to be the study for a test. I thought it would be the assignment thing. I, I know we're on the same page for the... Oh, yeah. Never, uh, like, cram... Not do the cramming before a test. Just relax. Well, my assignments are basically always due at exactly 11.59 p.m. So I don't try to stay up overnight and then submit for the next days. Now, I, I've definitely finished assignments at, you know, 11.54. Um, but because of the deadlines... Like I have in my university career, I've actually not had to hand in that many pieces of paper, like physically somewhere. Uh, part of that was COVID obviously was like, like over half of my degree, I think. Uh, and then courses kept submitting online. Like for those who don't know where I'm grading, like all my assignments are actually submitted online that I grade and I just grade. I don't have anyone's papers in my apartment. Uh, so that's part of it is my due dates are always just midnight. And so I don't really get a good opportunity to, and I've never felt the need to stay up overnight for something due at midnight the next day. So I, I think if COVID didn't happen, it's very possible, but it's never happened. Okay. Uh, what's the next one? Being a goalie in a sports game. It doesn't have to be like professional sports. I think I remember you mentioning you played soccer at some point, so I'm sure you were rotated into goalie in some game or another. Uh, soccer and then street hockey, I've done it plenty, but I. I'm fairly confident I've done it in soccer. I was not in soccer for very long, but uh, I've played enough street hockey that I've definitely been goalie, even if that's not on, you know, a, reg- a tournament or something like, or a proper team. Well, this is an interesting one. Given what your mother said to me earlier this week, that sounds so bad to say out loud. So we should explain context <laughs> immediately because I don't want to edit this out. Um, after I qualified for Worlds, I called Boxer who was very happy for me. She congratulated me because uh, I guess she overheard, or I don't know if you told her, one of the two. And I, I told her you qualified and she heard I was on the call, so she yelled it down the stairs. Okay, and then somewhere it managed to come up that I can't swim while you were on the university like swim team. My partner it has lifeguard training. My best friend has lifeguard training. And your mom said she used to be a swim instructor? Yeah. Yeah, I offended August's mother earlier this week. Um, so that makes this question even funnier, which is jumped into a pool while wearing clothes. You have not, because you don't know how to swim. 
<laughs> That's exactly correct. I absolutely have not, and I have no... Why would I do that? Well, and I don't have an animal or, like, kids I need to jump in after. And if so, someone else should do that. I might drown uh, saving if someone. If you're getting a cat, you, will, you might have to jump in after the cat. I'm not letting the cat outside. I live right, like, my door is on the road, basically. I'm not letting the cat outside. Then you better hope the cat is not as uh, much of an escape artist as the one I lived with for uh, last year. Oh, I'm going to cat-proof this house. Don't worry. <laughs> you can't do that. That is undoable. I have a friend who's a veterinarian. We'll find out. There's, I have, I will, like, I'm terrified of something happening. Number four. Nothing will happen to the cat, but stuff might happen to your stuff. Oh, I'm ready. My couch. I'm happy I own it and not my land kind of thing. Uh, number four, ridden a horse. Uh, I think you probably have at some point. It seems like something you would do. Yeah, um, where I, when I was living with my parents, at the bottom of that road was like a, a horse racing track. And so there was a barn there, and I used to go there, like, every weekend, because uh, I had friends who were, like, involved with that. So I've ridden plenty of horses, uh, because I was around them for, you know, a couple of years, for sure, of going there every weekend. So, yeah, I've ridden plenty of horses. It's been a long time, though. Uh, number five, qualified for the Eternal World Championship. You've done this, but there was some question at the time of how many top fours, uh, how many people have qualified on top fours? What if more people do? Do we really know if you've actually qualified or not? I shit you not. Like, I qualified, and I'm like, okay, I think I'm number four, but I th it's possible I'm number five, and number five screws up the LCQ. So until I, like, for sure found out, and then I saw some people in the Discord was, like, writing out who the actual top four players were, so I saw four, and I'm like, that's great. And then Direwolf took their sweet time posting the, like, official... um article they do after every event where they're like these people have qualified for worlds here's the tournament results like they they waited till like midday on tuesday and so until i got the thing that says you know feed the ghp are qualified for worlds there was a bit of doubt and that's probably why the happy didn't hit me so for so long because there was a part of me that thought there has to be some convoluted way that i don't make worlds i think we're good now though so you did yeah, win Direwolf tweeted it. Yeah, it's already framed, you know? Although, if Twitter goes into the ground, <laughs> is there any marker for uh, you knowing that you're qualified? Because that seems, you know, somewhat likely after the buffoon of a new owner has taken control. To think I actually wanted to work for Elon Musk at one point in my life. Yeah, Dream's dead for many reasons. Like, geez, what happened with Twitter? Uh... We have two kind of joking questions here, but I'll quickly answer that. How does it feel to be a, to be called, officially, Glorious Handsome Perfection? Like, I need to tell my girlfriend to call me that. <laughs> uh, and that's from J-Mang. Theo, are you going to legally change your name to Jerry Harry Potter? <laughs> you understand how many times I've had people say to me, You're a wizard, Jerry. <laughs> Probably a lot. Yeah, and more than... However much you think it is, more than that. Uh, I'm not really planning on changing my name. I just need to decide if I ever get my doctorate what I want to actually be called. But that's a different conversation because I'd have to reveal my full name to have that conversation. <laughs> so that's all of our questions. Uh, so do you have any closing remarks before we wrap up this cast? 
Uh, not really, other than this, this is something I've been waiting for for a long time. Obviously, uh, Jerry is far more excited than I am, but this is this really is a comparable feeling to me qualifying myself in terms of how happy I am about this. This, uh, it, this is just so great. I have felt that way with like you qualifying and like Ace winning worlds and Theo winning worlds, all of those really. You feel like you did it too, and not in the sense of like in the credit taking way, just more like that same feeling of like you're so proud or whatever emotion you want to describe it as. But like I know exactly what you're describing because I've had it with you a few times now. I think watching the top eight match, my heart was racing more than any time it was when I've ever been playing Eternal. It's stressful to watch these matches that that matter. Uh, yeah, you're probably the person besides me the most that's most excited. That or my partner. But no one else is close. Well, I'm, I'll wrap things up with this. I've been hosting Backlash for like 140 episodes. Since that, I, well, first we had Tim on as a, a host. Then we got you. But we've had Theo on after he, after he qualified for Worlds and when Theo won Worlds. We've had Ace on after he won Worlds. Uh, we've talked to people on here who've you know been very close. We had Collector on here after he qualified. Um, I've, and we've obviously had three different podcasts about you qualifying for worlds, including twice in one season. <laughs> we've had three of them. Uh, so I'm very happy to finally get to have this cast where I get to talk about it from my perspective and not just cause I mean, I'm obviously happy I qualified, but I'm, I'm happy we got to finally do this. Cause as a podcast where we talk about trying to be the best competitive player possible. Like that's always been our target audience. It feels so good to be able to say, even like we didn't talk about it this cast, but like I would say my ability to play this game after not playing much lately, a lot of that is things like I'm in a good mental state. I'm in the best. I'm probably right now in the best shape of my life. Things like that. I'm eating better. Anything like that which we've talked about many times how important that is, I really do factor that in to, like, this weekend happening. Um, so it feels good to also uh, put for you know, use the things that we've said on this podcast and actually succeed with them. And wow, that sounds like something who's, uh, that someone who sells a $200 course would say. But it's true. Like, it feels so good to be able to do that, especially with a podcast that's focused on being at the peak of competitive. So... Let's just wrap things up here. I want to thank everyone who for dealing with us being terrible at filming podcasts on reasonable schedules. Um, but things have happened in our lives that's definitely taken priority. And uh, we'll see you sometime soon because I'm not going to, you know, drill us into a this next week kind of hole. Yep. See you soon.